This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Eric Sue likes to say he was never successful athletically. And while he might have struggled between the lines, there was one arena in which he thrived, the digital one. Eric always found comfort when it came to video games, where for years he dominated as a successful esport player. For Eric, success in gaming was rooted in the mindset that failure was his and his alone, but that regardless of the struggle, the next level was always within reach. That mantra is something he still follows today. I think to understand that there are levels to everything, and there's levels to your career, there's levels to when you're working out, there's levels to games. If you can reframe life into a game, if you can reframe business into a game, it just becomes a lot easier and a lot more fun. Eric is an investor, founder, and advisor to companies. He is also the chairman of the digital marketing agency, Single Grain. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Eric dives into what it means to have a leveling up mindset and some of the steps that marketers can take to move their careers forward. Plus, Eric details the two areas marketers should be honing in on when it comes to optimizing their websites. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Eric, how are you? Thanks for having me, Ian. Yeah, great to, great to have you on the show today. We're going to talk a bunch about your backgrounds, marketing, uh, your companies, your amazing podcast, and your new book. So lots of stuff coming in this episode. So first, how'd you get started in marketing? Yeah, I mean, it's um, I kind of lucked into it, meaning... I graduated college when it was the um, the Great Recession, and we the only job I can get was a data entry job. It was a dead end job, so I was you know so bored. I was playing, I was so bored that I was playing poker in the back. So I, I found a, 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 a cubicle where I could just go in the back and play online poker, and I'll just do that. I come into work super early so I can leave by two p.m. Most people wouldn't come until nine, and basically I come in at six just so I could sleep at my desk. And so um, I realized something was wrong. And uh, I think the breaking point was when I saw someone that was 10 years older than me that went to Harvard that was doing the same exact thing that I was doing. And I was like, holy crap, this cannot be it. I cannot do that. And so my friend reached out to me. She, she now works at Airbnb. She said, hey, you should look into this digital marketing thing. And um, long story short, I ended up picking up an internship while I was doing this job and um, learned a lot in that period. And from that point on, I never really looked back. So happy to go into it more, but that's kind of how I got started. Yeah. So flash forward to today, um, you have a ton of really cool stuff going on. You just released a book. You have uh, a couple hit podcasts. Um, you're the CEO of ClickFlow. Um, you've been running Single Grain for a while. Tell me, uh, what does ClickFlow do first and foremost? Yeah. So for clarity and thank, thank you for the kind words. Um, so I don't run any of these companies. Uh, we have operators that run them, but ClickFlow is software that helps you grow your SEO traffic while looking like a genius. So that's what it does. It basically helps you um, with a whole host of things, but I'm not going to bore you with all the features. Awesome. And uh, for the other endeavors, I've been a, I've been a fan of marketing school podcast for a long time. You and Neil Patel, um, you know, co-host that it's a great show. I'm sure our listeners have checked it out. You know, it's one of those things that I think, you know, as someone who creates podcasts for a living and also uh, is a marketer, 
I just thought it was an awesome idea. We were talking beforehand about just like how great of a of a strategy it is to to put out that type of content. I, I'm curious though, how do you do it all? How do you have time? Yeah, I mean, to the point earlier, I mean, it, it's I think it's understanding. You know, in my 20s, I kept thinking about how to do things. So how can I do this? How can I do this? I'm a smart, I'm a smart person. I got something to prove to my boss, all that. And then in your thirties, you start to realize, oh, especially if you're running a company, I shouldn't be the one doing it. Who can do it? And you, you take it a level further. It's not just, you don't need to be the CEO. It's who can run the company. So I can go operate above the business and think beyond it and use my mind for strate- strategic thinking. If that's what I'm really good at, because if, if I'm supposed to be the visionary, then ultimately what I should be doing is thinking about, you know, how can I get more deals? How can I recruit the best people? All that type of stuff. And the highest leverage activity, one of the highest leverage activities I can do is create content. And so um, that's what it is exactly. That's how I have the time. I think it's constantly thinking about every quarter. Or so what 15% of things can I be taking off my plate um, and hot potatoing, right? Because even if someone can do it 70 to 80% of, of, you know, my capacity, you know, again, it's one of the highest leverage things that I can do hiring, that's another form of leverage right there. So, you know, when I think about the the forms of leverage, you have um, capital, you have labor, you have code, and you have media, right? So what I just talked about earlier is, is media. And then, you know, labor would be another one that I just talked about. Yeah. So you kind of have an interesting portfolio of, of products that you mentioned that you have operators on. Do you think of it like a portfolio? Yeah. Hundred percent. I think the easiest way to look at it is, um, you know, we're we're a product studio. You can call it a portfolio. But if you think about Berkshire Hathaway, I mean, way you know they owned a bunch of companies, and um, you know, long term, I can see my, my myself playing that game till till the day I die. It's just really fun to do. Yeah. Well, so and I think it it blends two things that I think are pretty critical going forward, where you have a rock solid services business and a rock solid, you know technology SaaS product offering. And they give you the ability to do kind of like two things great. Like we've we've interviewed a lot of people on the show that are, you know, kind of really good on the SaaS side, but have never really worked in services or people who have worked in services and haven't kind of worked on a SaaS side. But you get a lot of magic when you blend those two things together because the way that you go to market, the things that you learn about those uh, two types of businesses allow you to kind of like cross pollinate both of those things. That's why, you know, I think, you know, some of the best software companies in the world have such a ridiculously strong services arm to it uh, when you think about like how they view customer support and success and things like that. Do you kind of like, you know, look at both of those those businesses and try to like take one and and put ideas into the other and and vice versa and cross pollinate? Yeah. I, so that that's a great point. It's, it's a great observation. I, I think there's, so we have, you know, the software company ClickFlow, we have the ad agency, um, Neil and I, we have an events business that's tied to marketing school. And then we're, we're planning to actually build out the school portion of marketing school. And there's a whole host of other things going on. And so the whole idea here is if I were to, you know, go to 30,000 foot view is to think about it this way, marketing school, we create a lot of free content. And then, you know, we, we're going to have a, we already have a, a $300 to $600 a year version, which is fairly cheap. And then the idea is to have a 12 week boot camp. Now, the idea here, you know, again, going even more macro is we're trying to take people from zero to job ready when it comes to marketing. So we're going to level you up. You can take our free content, you can go through the boot camp. If you're going to go through the boot camp, the agency is the vessel that you're going to have to go through, right? So you're going to go through hell for 12 weeks where you're going to be trained hardcore on paid media, SEO, whatever, because to me, digital doesn't take that long to learn. In, in 12 weeks, you're going to be, you're going you're to know your stuff or you're not. Yeah, it's funny. So something I've talked about for years about podcast is if you were to 
go into a job interview and say, you know, like if you were to interview at, at my company and say that I've listened to 1200 uh, episodes of, of marketing school, you know, 12,000 hours, how great of a candidate would that be? Right. You're like, man, this person is dialed in. They really pay attention. And so it seems to me like, obviously the logical extension of that was, okay, well, you know, to create an actual marketing school to, to fill that funnel uh, of people who want to do that, who want to level up. And so you wrote the book, right? You wrote a book called Level Up. Uh, why'd you write it? So the book's called Leveling Up and it's the subtitles, How to Master the Game of Life. I played a lot of games growing up and growing up, even now, I mean, there's a stigma towards gaming. And at nine or 10 years old, I, I had realized that, look, there's a lot of stuff I'm learning. It's or I, I guess I didn't realize this till later, but I learned teamwork. I learned collaboration. I learned, I learned how to communicate. I learned resilience. And at, at that age, I was playing with people that, you know, own planes. They were lawyers. I, you know, other college students, people that are way older than me. And I was doing things that other people can only dream of. And so for me, it was very much an escape. But in the real world, you know, you, you have your parents that are not acknowledging it and they're hiding your keyboard and then you're getting in big fights with them and all that. And so that, that's still happening nowadays. You know, parents are, are very concerned that uh, kids are addicted to games. And there's a reason why they're addicted because gaming was their escape and there was their shadow world where they would go to, to train. That's what gaming is. You can learn a lot of this stuff. I, the, the challenge here is that, you know, when you're not being acknowledged in real life, you're going to stay in that shadow world, right? The ideal situation is that you're taking those skills, you're training and you're bringing it back into real life, right? The key thing is you come back to real life because you don't want to let your real life body rot, and so for me, you know, thinking about it, gaming actually creates leaders. You think about Elon Musk, played a lot of games growing up. Mark Zuckerberg played a lot of games growing up. Some of the champions I saw that used to win Ferraris and stuff uh, when I was in, in middle school, these people have founded companies. They've sold the companies, very successful technology, SaaS businesses as well. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, if you think about sports, same thing, you know, it's um, you learn resilience, you learn teamwork, all that. Why is sports accepted? It's because it's been around a lot longer. Now, what tends to happen is when something's new, it tends to get dismissed as a toy. So for example, people are investing in cards right now. This Pokemon card over here, I paid $2,000 for from a former employee. Um, and you know, some of these are worth like 70,000. Know, I think a card just sold for 5.2 million earlier this week. And um, it gets dismissed as a toy. Bitcoin was dismissed as a toy initially. Snapchat was dismissed as a toy initially. The internet was also dismissed initially. And so what ends up happening is these things become inevitable and you know, people just have to accept it or you're just going to be that, that person that just can't accept reality. And so you know, for better or worse, gaming is going to continue to, it, it is a big thing already. It's going to become even bigger. And you, know, you, you look at where the investors are trending right now, one of the top firms, Andreessen Horowitz, they're pouring a lot of money into um, esports right now or, or gaming. So it's, it's very much a real thing. And I think the, the 3 billion plus people in the world that have actually played a game in their lifetime uh, need to understand that this is a great way to build habits, right? It's not just video games. I can take it to gambling as well because, you know, in the world of poker, I used to spend <laughs> like 12 to, to, to 14 hours a day playing poker. And the amount I learned from poker, having to understand how to think in bets, understanding when to go all in, understanding that there's variance that I can play my, I can bring my A game for three months, six months, 12 months, and uh, still not win. Um, that, that very much happens, right? So you have to learn how to have a, you know, you, you learn resilience, but you learn how to um, keep, keep a level head as well. So there's just a lot within there. And I think it's really unfair to dismiss it, right? I, I think to understand that there are levels to everything 
there's levels to your career. There's levels to when you're working out, there's levels to games. If you can reframe life into a game, if you can reframe business into a game, it just becomes a lot easier and a lot more fun. Yeah. I think it's just such a cool premise because I think, you know, so often people are looking for a blueprint or a a pathway, um, especially like if you're, if you're a young marketer or someone like that, you're trying to look for, you know, pathways. We, we go to college to look at, you know, pathways and all that sort of stuff. And then you get into the real world, especially in marketing, and things change literally every six months, every day. You know, uh, if you're an SEO person, they change uh, without your control. Uh, you know, there's all these different things, and I think looking at it from uh, looking at your career you know, from from the same kind of idea of of a video game makes a lot of sense because there are things that you can do to you know level up. In your book, Leveling Up, one of the things that, that I find super fascinating is that, you know, not only are you writing about this, but you're also giving a game within that, right? If you do all these things, uh, people can get a reward. And I think that, you know, that type of incentive is really cool. For example, you know, if you order the book, you get a lifetime membership to your private Discord community. Like, I think that there's so many things that you can do as a creator now that you didn't used to do and to really build communities and, and, and help people uh, to try to figure out their path. And part of the thing that's valuable about that is that it's, it's ongoing, right? It's like the school doesn't stop, the education doesn't stop. It's something that will continue to evolve. And you're someone who keeps your ear to the ground. It's going to pay attention to, to everything that's going on. Totally. hundred percent. And uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. So from a marketing standpoint, what are you excited about for, for 2021? What are some of the things that you're seeing um, that you want to experiment with that, you're, that your companies are experimenting with? I mean, to me, Clubhouse is a, is a really obvious one. Have you used Clubhouse yet? So I haven't yet. I, I have it on my, on my to-do list. Yeah, I think it's going to be, um, it, it already is. I mean, you know, let's use Andreessen again. They, they actually backed the company um, in, in May and... I've never seen an app where my time in app is so high. Like I spent 30 hours in that app last week and I usually am pretty good at controlling um, how much time I spend on social, but what it really does is it really accelerates networking. It's networking at scale. There's a lot of people that um, I've seen online or we've kind of seen each other and now we're actually interacting or talking about collaborations. You know, for the book right now, I'm on a podcast tour. I've got booked on 25 and these are legit podcasts. Um, Some people you know, hate him or love him, you know, Grant Cardone is, is hanging out and then boom, all of a sudden we're kind of, you know, just talking to each other in, in the room, right? Um, yesterday, you know, the, the founder of uh, Activision pinged me into a room and we're just talking randomly. It just comes out of nowhere. There's a lot of serendipity that happens. Um, or I can go into rooms where, you know, you have esports influencers or just uh, social media influencers talking. There's just a lot going on there. Um, and I think it's, you know, audio is, um, you know, that type of dynamic I just haven't seen before. And you, you see Twitter copying them already. Twitter's doing Twitter spaces. So I can very much see Facebook and Google maybe trying to do something similar because look, they copied stories as well in the past. And so, you know, Clubhouse is interesting to me. I would say TikTok and LinkedIn Organic continue to be interesting to me. I think I will continue, we will continue to see a rise in, you know, quote unquote MA activity, but from a marketing standpoint. So trying to buy a website because of its SEO and then integrating it to what you have to take over the domain authority. There's a lot um, within that. And also, you know, people continue to buy, you know, these, these micro SaaS companies that maybe didn't, didn't take off and then they can kind of integrate it um, to have their team grow it. So those are kind of the things that I'm most excited about. Yeah. I, I, I co-sign all the stuff you said. I, I want to 
dive into a little bit more about that those M&A activities. I think this is like hugely untapped in the marketing community is, you know, buying whether it's tools or companies uh, or domains or things that you could build up and build like an asset around. Do you have any examples of that that you've seen over the past couple of years that have worked really well? Yeah. I mean, a perfect example is my, my podcast co-host. Um, so the example before that is I bought a senior living website that was ranking really well for keywords like senior living. And I paid like, you know, 10 or $15,000 for it. I told Neil the week after he buys a tool called Uber suggest for $250,000 and great acquisition for him. That tool is doing really well. Now he's upgraded it quite a bit, but that that's one of his, his primary sources of acquisition right now. There's a lot of people using it for free. There's a lot of people paying for it. So that's a primary example of something that was doing okay. It was doing because it's like, if it sold for 250, it was probably doing okay. And um, you know, look at where it is now. So. Yeah. I love that. So you obviously are an entrepreneur. You have your little personal uh, Eric's uh, Berkshire Hathaway that you're running. If you were a CMO, if you were a marketing leader, how would you look at making those type of investments? Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of websites out there that you can go to. I mean, you probably just want to make a list of these websites you want to target, like make a dream 100 and, you know, go after them and say, Hey, like, look, are you looking to partner up and then get on a conversation, get in a, get on a call with them and say, Hey, like, you know, potentially are you interested in selling? It's a lot of hand-to-hand combat. I mean, you're lucky if you get, you know, one response out of 100 or 200, but you know, that's what it takes. I think it's, that's how you're going to get the high quality stuff. Now you can definitely go to the brokers online. You can go to Flippa. You can go to FE International. There's a lot of these brokers out there. And, you know, there's other kind of private brokers that you can work with as well. So, you know, other than that, I would use a tool like ubersuggest.com to kind of try to source the deals you're looking for, you know, because that will uncover a lot of people, you know, especially from an SEO perspective, how they're doing. So um, those are just a couple of high level things. Yeah. So with regards to tools, I think that this is one of the things that is another untapped piece in in the marketer's toolkit. We had, um, gosh, I think it was... 150 episodes ago, we had Ryan Benici on here talking about one of the tools that he made back in the day that worked extremely well. I feel like leveraging a tool as uh, as an ad campaign is such an underutilized option because if you have a tool that works really well, and you know, really it's a product, right? You can put a PM on it. You can have them, uh, you know, build something really cool, and then you know that people need, and then you can do anything with that asset. You can put ads there, you can, you know, tie it to uh, more of lead gen campaigns, you can do it as more of a brand awareness play. Um, Why don't marketers like build and create actual helpful things more rather than just kind of like tried and true, you know, paid ad campaigns, acquisition, things like that. There's a good quote um, yesterday I saw on, on Twitter. It's look, product people are usually not good marketers. Marketers are usually not good product people. And if you can find someone that is good at two, that's lightning in a bottle. And so and I was just talking about this a couple of days with my friends. Internet marketers are very good at acquisition. They're good at funnels and all that. Terrible at retention. They don't think about it that much. To them, a 15, 20% churn rate is, is good. And now again, let's, let's think about demand gen marketers or people in the tech world. They're okay at acquisition, you know, but um, they do think about retention a lot more. And so I think... That's why a lot of marketers are not really thinking about it that way. They're thinking about, hey, wh- what channels can I use? Where can I get the traffic? And because it's so short-term thinking, that's how they think, right? But if you flip it to a long-term type of thing where you actually have to build a product and make sure that the product works well, you have to do customer development, you have to have conversations, 
that's totally different. And that's a lot harder to do. And most people don't, don't want to do the hard work. And that's why most people are most people. But you can go to a website like 1kprojects.com or codecanyon.net to buy like a cheap widget or a tool. Those are perfectly fine. I've talked about it a lot on the, on the podcast. And you know, that's what it is. Or you can survey your audience, see what they want and see if you can go acquire something out there. There's a lot of great tools in whatever industry that you're in that you should be able to buy. And then, I mean, if you can build an like even simple calculator, as an example, that can do well. That can attract a ton of links. You can use a tool called Outgrow. I think it's outgrow.co maybe. And um, you know, they make a lot of calculators. So yeah, it's a great point. Uh, there's all sorts of things that you can you can white label. You can you can create these things. You don't have to build them in house. You don't have to put engineering resources towards them. You can get something out of box and and throw it on your website and have something that's useful useful and helpful. As it relates to websites, what do you think is like you know the next phase of of websites that's coming? If you're if you're like let's say an enterprise technology company, B two B technology company, how should how should you be viewing your website? I mean, look, there's a no code movement and a low code movement right now where it doesn't, there's a lot of out of box solutions that you can use to build something. And when I think about Lambda School, as an example, they are built off of Webflow and Webflow is a very, um, it's a, I want to say very easy. It's a simple tool to use to build quick, good looking websites. Don't need to learn how to code. You can easily use Notion to put up a website and have it indexed in search engines. You can use Airtable as well and plug it with Zapier and then make a you can actually make a business off of that as well. So there's a lot of solutions to get going quickly. And I think that we're going to see a lot more side hustle entrepreneurs coming out. A lot of people become, you know, long-term entrepreneurs doing it. So um, that's where I think, you know, at least for, for starters, that's where it's going. Long-term on, on the website portion, look, I think mobile is, is where it's at right now. I think, you know, web's where it's at right now. I don't really have a, I don't think I really have a long-term opinion. I think it's, you know, we're going to continue to improve. And usually what happens in, in the, the, the design world and also the dev world is their, their community is, they're fanatics, right? And they move very quickly and they're always trying to innovate. So, um, you know, as a marketer, I'm excited to see where that goes, but I don't have a real, real opinion on those. So one of the things that I was thinking there with the, with the way that websites are kind of structured now is like you have people who have built these, you know, these huge, heavy websites, tons of content, trying to rank, rank for uh, all the the phrases that matter to them, and then you have other people who are, you know, kind of going for a a more distributed approach, right? Like I'd rather have, you know, twenty assets that point back to our sales our sales pages that are out there, rather than having like one website that has this like massive sprawl. It's slower now, and you see this all the time with big companies that then you know a new CMO comes in first thing they have to tackle is like redoing the website because it's just like this, like a bunch of outdated technology, a bunch of things like that. Do you think that there's advantages there to, you know, create smaller things that can be faster? Or do you think that like the large, enormous website is going to be something that, you know, continues to to happen for enterprise companies? Yeah. I mean, there's no choice now. I mean, with Google's uh, new algorithm update that's that's coming core web vitals, speed is a big piece of it. You don't want a lot of bloat because you don't want to slow people down. It, I mean, at the end of the day, Google's, the things that matter in terms of ranking from an SEO perspective are, you know, content and links. But, you know, part of having good quote unquote content is for people to actually be able to see it. So you can't bog it down with a bunch of, you know, JavaScript snippets and throw up a bunch of your, you know, your sales and marketing, you know, um, you know stack. And so it's all about the user experience. Um, how can I make it faster? How can I make it easier to consume? Uh, and in some cases, 
you know, how can I make the website very simple where it's just a couple pages to your point um, where they get, you know, the core value from the site and, and that's it, right? Not trying to, you know, um, you know, add a bunch of extraneous stuff to it. So, you know, Google will continue to optimize for the user experience because they have to, because that's their core product. And then they sell advertising around it. Because if that's not good enough, then someone else is going to come and eat their lunch, right? You know, DuckDuckGo is the privacy search engine. It doesn't provide nearly as good results. But, um, you know, again, if Google loses, starts to lose their, um, their luster in terms of like, uh, you know, core product value, then that's where DuckDuckGo gets to start, start to take market share away from Google. But that's still, you know, very, very far away. So. Yeah, totally. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great way of looking at it. So do you think that from a content perspective, you know, you talked about how important content is, you know, Google obviously is, is now trying to serve you things that uh, solve your answer right there, right? Um, how much should that play into marketers content strategy, uh, where potentially Google is going to give you the answer without you even having to go to the site? Yeah, I mean, you know, from an SEO perspective, what, what you should be thinking about here is, you know, on SERP SEO. So on the actual search engine result page, you know, let's say it's uh, the result is how to tie a tie and it actually shows, you know, the, all the steps there. If you can somehow, you know, mention your brand in there, so they'll, they'll, under, they'll get an impression of your brand and then somehow lead them back to your website, say, hey, to learn more, come to this website. I mean, that's basically the best you can do. You want to provide as much value as you can, but try to have some type of call to action, talk about your brand uh, a little bit. Um, and that, that, that's you optimizing there, right? Because at the very least, you at least get an impression. So that, unfortunately, it is a good user experience. It's not the best experience for you. So yeah, no, exactly right. Well, I'm just worried about the marketers spent, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, if you're if you're a tie company out there and you spent, you know, the last five years just trying to win how to tie a tie, and then all of a sudden it's just like, you know, that term is now you're just cooked. Yep. No, I mean it's that's why you can't rely on just one thing. You can't have all your eggs in in one basket. And I think you know from a business perspective, thinking about um, if you are running a business. You know, how can you get one thing going and then think about, okay, what are other areas I can uh, make sure I can diversify into so I don't lose everything. I don't lose my shirt if, you know, the, the, the main thing fails. So you've talked a lot about, you know, owning businesses and this, this kind of idea of kind of being beyond just a marketer, right? I think, you know, we talk on this show about CMOs becoming future CEOs and something that's like a trend that's starting to happen because of the way that at certain companies the CMO is actually the person closest to the customer now in a way that you never were before. So the next, you know, the next level up from that would be, you know, having your own business, starting your own business on the side, you know, doing doing those sort of things with all of the knowledge that you have as a marketer. What would your advice be for how can a marketer start to think more long term, start to think beyond just being a marketer and to be a business owner? Yeah. I think, look, you know, at the end of the day, you are capped usually. I mean, in some cases you can pay, get paid really lucratively, uh, but in most cases you're capped if you're, if you're working somewhere. Now, I think when you are, I'll just share the story behind Single Grain. The, the reason I, I came into Single Grain and the reason I took over the company, so this is the ad agency, the reason I took it over was because it was an asymmetric bet. So, you know, I was able to acquire the company for basically nothing and, um, you know, the after the first year, the company almost failed because I was being stupid. And we dropped all the way down to employee, had all the way down to one employee, had no idea what I was doing. But you know, the, the whole bet here was that if it worked out, the my upside would be unlimited because I could take those cash flows and go reinvest it into more durable sources of, of revenue, right? I, I can use the cash flow business to you know go build or buy other stuff. 
if I failed, my worst case scenario would be going back to leading marketing for an incredible company. So my worst case scenario was someone else's best case scenario. And that's how you want to think about it. How can you make your worst case scenario someone else's dream? And I, I think it's tough because in scenarios in the past where I've been fired, I remember one time I was working somewhere, I got bored and um, I got fired because the COO found out I was trying to start a business on the side, which is not com- non-competitive, right? I was just bored. I wanted to start something. That day, I was not sad at all. I was like, you know what? This is exciting. I went to work immediately that day. I wasn't, I wasn't you know, down or anything like that because I realized that at any given point, you know, if the company's not doing well, layoffs can happen, right? And you know, I'm, I'm relying on somebody else. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you're thinking long-term, you know, where, where do you have the most asymmetric upside? Where do you have the most, where are you uncapped? And where you're uncapped is where you are either owning a business is, is a nice step, but even, you know, moving into an investor capacity where you're thinking about investing in businesses, you know, having equity in things and watching the equity grow, that's how you have the most leverage, right? Because earlier we talked about code, capital, media leverage. When you're working for someone, you might make a lot of capital, but the other leverage you might be able to build a personal brand on the side, but most of the time you're so busy that you can't, right? especially if, if you have a family, no way, right? So how are you going to build these other forms of leverage? You're lucky if you get the, for, for the first form of leverage. So the ultimate game here to, to play the game for the long term is to think about how can I you know, build assets that make money in my sleep? How can I build the most ultimate forms of leverage? And um, then I'm going to, that's me playing the ultimate game right there, right? That's, that's how you should think about it. That's how you play the ultimate game. You've talked about social a handful of times. You obviously leverage social to share a bunch of uh, the things that, that you do and you create, obviously, tons of marketing that your companies do on social media. As an entrepreneur, though, it kind of changes a little bit, right? Because now, you know, you have your, let's say, you know, let's say your CMO of, you know, I don't know, some, so you're a unicorn startup and you also have this business on the side that you're trying to to run and optimize. And then you need to be promoting your business, but also you need to be promoting your company. Do you see that there could be a potential like, you know, nervousness around people who are like, you know, oh well, I would I would love to do that or I would love to, you know, be involved in some projects outside of work, but I just don't want to send the wrong signal. Yeah, I totally get it. I mean, if it's like we're talking you're a CEO of a, a unicorn company, I think you can make it happen, right? Because the beauty of this is you know, when we're doing podcasts like this, you are the talent, right? Ian, you're the host right now. People gravitate towards you. And so if you were to start a podcast and a lot of the stuff, you know, people know you as the, the leader of this company, but if you move on, they're still going to follow you. They're not really following the podcast. Cause I I've seen a couple of podcasts where the host will switch and then the, the audience actually switches out. They, they, they follow the host and then that podcast just falls apart. So that, that's just one example, one medium where I've seen that happen. And, um, I think, you know, if I'm a CEO of a company, like can we make a YouTube channel? Can we make a podcast? You know, can I be the host there, right? Can, can I be the one on YouTube and in the podcast interviewing other, you know, CEOs or whatever? I'm building relationships, right? And then I'm also building a, an audience that way. And then, you know, when things end, when I have to move on, let's say if I have to move on the company, let's say the company IPOs, whatever, it's okay. I still got an audience. Hey guys, by the way, I've been sending you all to my email list where I have all your information, right? So that's something you can easily do. And, um, I don't think there's an excuse too, because, you know, earlier this morning, I was interviewing uh, Kat Cole, who was the COO of Focus Brands. So Cinnabon, Jamba Juice, uh, Auntie Anne's, you know, she freaking managed like, a, that's, that's over a billion dollar in sales, right? And she's right, she's out there right now, 
you know, on Goldman Sachs interviews. She's on podcasts, she's hanging out in clubhouse, got a big following on tech Twitter. She's investing. She's like, so she made it happen. She built a brand while she was running these companies. So, you know, why not you? Well, I think that, that part of the thing there is that it's actually beneficial to your employer. And I think that that was one of the things that I think people didn't realize for a long time, which is if you're a senior leader, if you're a CEO or a CMO or a CRO, like your thought leadership, you are selling all the time, right? Like you're selling your culture, you're selling your team, you're selling you know, new employees to work for you. It is advantageous to do that stuff. But I think the question that a lot of people have is like the how, right? It's like, yeah, how do I have time? How do I do those things? And it's, I think it's kind of always the, the classic, like, you know, what if we, uh, what if we train the employees and they leave? And then the CEO says, well, what if we don't and they stay, right? It's like the alternative is worse. <laughs> the alternative is if you don't have an audience at all and nobody cares what you say or, or follows you, how much harder is everything else? How much harder is selling? How much harder is getting employees? I mean, my, that's well said. I mean, my, my take on it, look, if it's important, you know, no time is no excuse. I think there's always time. You'll make time for something that's important. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Okay, let's get into our, uh, our lighting round questions. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Uh, marketing on the world's number one CRM, that is Salesforce. Check them out. They've been with us 250 plus episodes at this point, and we love them. Check them out. Lighting round questions. Eric, are you ready? Ready. Number one, what is your favorite esports team? Uh, that would have to be 100 Thieves. What is your favorite thing to do on an off day in LA? Do you have off days? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm working all the time. I mean, I, I love walking outside. So, <laughs> um, favorite, uh, favorite interview, podcast interview that you've, uh, that you've done recently that our listeners should check out? I actually enjoyed the one this morning with Cat Cole. I mean, we, we talked a lot about mental models, frameworks, and thinking. I, that's, um, you know, I love that type of stuff. If you weren't in marketing, if you weren't an investor, if you weren't an entrepreneur, if you're doing something else entirely, what would you be doing? Yeah, oh, that, that one's easy. Um, so, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll pull this up again. I just love teaching. I love learning and I love teaching. So I, I just be a teacher. So I, I teach at USC down here at, at Pepperdine. So um, I love that. What's your best advice for someone who just took over as a first-time head of marketing? I would uh, take out this turtle over here and say, uh, slow down. So it's, you know, the reason for that is, you know, we often want things done yesterday. And I think there's a weird balance, right? Like if you, if you just came on as a marketer, especially for a unicorn company, you're supposed to move fast. But in some cases, I think, um, especially by the way, if you just came on as, as a new person, slowing down and trying to understand, uh, trying to survey what's going on, you know, seeking to understand for the first 30, 60 days or so before taking any drastic action. I think that's that's huge, right? And slowing down, again, comes back to thinking in decades and not so much in, in years because we get a lot more done in, in decades. So slowing down for your career as a whole and then also not driving your people insane. So Yeah, there's a really interesting uh, anecdote that uh, Gibson Biddle shares, who is, uh, the, I think he was chief product officer at Netflix or, or VP of product for a while, where basically he was like, you over overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can do in five. And I always thought that that was, that was, you know, key to, key to Netflix growth, key to, key to your personal growth. Everyone should check out your book. Thanks, Eric. This is awesome. Go buy Leveling Up, How to Master the Game of Life. All sorts of awesome perks and, and cool stuff for our listeners to check out. Super easy. Levelingup.com. Eric, any, any final thoughts? 
yeah, I mean, you know, really appreciate this. I mean, you can go to levelingup.com or you can, you know, find me uh, hanging out in Clubhouse all the time on Twitter or Instagram at Eric O-S-I-U. Awesome. Thanks again. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.